Welcome to In Session, Conversations with University Counselors. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. In this series, we welcome a number of Queen's University alumni who serve on Queen's University Council. And from them, we learn much about their time as students at Queen's, their career paths after convocation, and what drives their motivations to serve the Queen's community as council members. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In Session, Conversations with University Counselors. And today I'm in the virtual studio with Bitu George, a alumnus from Queen's University from ArtSci 95 and Law 98, still living here in Kingston and working as a lawyer. And I even understand he was on the uh, city council and was elected as deputy mayor along so many other fascinating things that he's been doing uh, with his career. Bitu, welcome to CFRC 101.9 FM today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your career as a lawyer. Yeah, um, let's see here. Well, I mean, obviously I got my law degree at uh, Queens and then um, after a couple of years, I was doing some contract work at uh, the Ministry of Transportation, uh, which was kind of an extension of a summer job I had. So I thought I'd... uh, give that a try for a couple of years just to see how that worked out. And then uh, when my contract ended, I went for the bar admission course, took that. Um, and then after that, I did my articlings. So I articled with a, a lawyer here in Kingston. And uh, once I'd done that, I was called to the bar. And, um, you know, I was kind of in the process of kind of setting up my own practice, but then I decided to run for city council. And then I got myself elected as city council. So I'm trying to do a law practice and then um, sitting on city council. And of course, uh, you know, city council is supposed to be a part-time job. It's perceived to be a part-time job and certainly paid as a part-time job. Uh, But, um, you know, as far as the citizens are concerned, you're there full-time 24-7. So um, it was a little bit different in terms of the time commitment. Uh, So I was trying to juggle both things. And then during that time, I was offered a a position with, um, uh, at the time, or probably one of the largest law firms in Kingston, Cunningham Swan. Uh, So I went and worked with them um, for a year. Um, Of course, the challenge with Cunningham Swan is the fact that they're a very, very busy law firm. And um, I found myself having to declare um, or recuse myself from certain uh, planning decisions uh, because um, the firm uh, obviously works with a lot of developers in the Kingston area. So um, to make sure I was compliant with the Municipal Conflict of Interest Act, I'd have to, um, you know, recuse myself from certain uh, motions and certain proceedings um, just to maintain that integrity. So, um, So I found myself, it was pretty busy working, you know, more than full-time hours at the law firm and then of course you're working more than full-time hours at city council mm-hmm. so after so after about a year I had to make a decision as to I couldn't do both uh there wasn't enough days hours in a day to be able to pull that off plus eat sleep and everything else so uh, I made the decision to leave uh, the firm and then continue with my work at city council and uh, I did that for a few years I started uh, to uh, look for clients and then kind of reestablish my uh, private practice um, and then my term of council ended um uh, of course, I'd been elected deputy mayor for about a year. Then uh, that, that would have been one year. Uh, my term of council ended. And then after that, um, I was invited to apply to be an adjudicator with the landlord and tenant board. Um, and uh, I applied for that board and I was um, selected and appointed by the government. And uh, I've been on the board on and off for about uh, seven years in total. Uh, there's a couple of gaps there in terms of me stepping down and trying to pursue some higher uh, political offices, uh, you know, particularly with uh, seeking a party nomination and, and things like that. So uh, depending on who the chair of the board was, some people would allow you to take an unpaid leave of absence to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, other chairs of the board would require you to actually resign. So there's discretion in terms of 
what your boss thought was the appropriate way to proceed in political activity um, that could separate yourself from being part of a quasi-judicial position with the government of Ontario. So um, with those gaps, I was able to do um, work for the province for about seven years. Um, and then uh, during my latter part of my appointment, um, the government decided to amalgamate the Landlord and Tenant Board with the Social Benefits Tribunal. So I was doing some hearings with uh, that organization as well. So we were cross-appointed between two boards. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that. And um, then after that, uh, um, I, was, I stepped down from the board. I was deciding what I wanted to do. And uh, you know, do I want to reestablish my law practice? Do I want to join a law firm? And then a friend of mine who happened to be a manager with a, um, with a bank, uh, who's a mortgage, um, um, a manager of mortgage uh, officers or real estate specialist, real um, residential property specialists, um, approached me and asked me if I was doing any real estate work and could I be a referral source to help with uh, the mortgage uh, work, the legal aspects of the mortgage work. And then I started asking him about, uh, well, you know, why is he asking me this? What's he looking to do? And he says, we're, we're looking to hire some people for mortgage work um, in the Kingston branch and everything. So I asked him some more questions about that. And then he kind of got the impression or certainly knew that I was interested in or learning more about it. So he was kind of excited about that prospect. So he said, oh, do you want to work for the bank? I said, well, yeah, working for a break is, uh, you know, pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, it's uh, banks seem to be doing quite well financially. So I thought, you know, that's a an opportunity for me to explore a different side of uh, career possibility. So I went and worked with the National Bank as a mortgage development manager for three years. And I uh, also did some uh, bank sales and, and foreclosure work and some legal work with that. Mm -hmm. um, so I was working with real estate agents, developers, um, obviously clients, um, and of course, other lawyers who are involved with, uh, you know, bank foreclosures and any of, the, any of those legal um, activities. So um, I did that. And then um, after uh, about three or four years, I uh, realized that, um, you know, National Bank's kind of a small operation in Kingston relative to the other major banks. Um, so we didn't have the same walk-in clientele or the same kind of base to work with. Mm -hmm. um, and Kingston is very competitive when it comes to mortgage work and real estate work and so on and so forth. So at that point, I started looking at some other op op options and possibilities. And, um, you know, once I got in the financial world, all of these people started coming and knocking on my door saying, hey, would you be interested in this? Would you be interested in this? Would you be interested in this? So, um, you know, I looked at the possibility of doing uh, financial services. And, um, you know, my plan was to transition from National Bank to another law firm. Uh, of course, there was a municipal election campaign that kind of got in the middle of that. So I said, OK, well, I'll step down from the bank, run for office because that's going to be a full time job. And then I can transition to this new role. Um, and, uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to, get, I wasn't able to get reelected to council. Um, but uh, that was fine. Um, and then, uh, before I joined the, this new firm, I had to uh, sign up for online courses for certification. Um, so I was in the process of doing that. And, uh, then, uh, unfortunately my father was uh, diagnosed with, uh, brain cancer. Oh dear. Uh, so at that point I decided, okay, fine. I will uh, kind of step away from what I'm doing right now and just kind of, be the caregiver because uh, my father at the time had been working for my um, looking after my mother who has a pre-existing health condition so I ended up looking after both of them so that took about a, a year and a half process and uh, he passed uh, earlier um, last year um, so um, that plus now the state issues and trying to get everything all finalized that way uh, it's been pretty time consuming but now I'm back into doing the online work and uh, going for my certification and once that's done then I can uh, resume uh, uh, or join uh, the financial services company I was going to join and then, you know, pick up my career from there.
Wow. What a what a journey you've been on and really quite all over the place. And nice to hear that so many people are inter- from various firms are uh, so interested in the work that you do and the uh, the resilience that you clearly have. I'd like to hear more too about some of your volunteerism as well. You have uh, on your university council mm. uh, profile, there are so many boards and, and uh, committees that you've been sitting on. Can you give us some highlights on a few other than the ones that you've already uh, talked about with um, with the Tenant Act? I see like the Friends of the Penitentiary Museum, for example, uh, Kingston Technology Exchange Center. Tell us more. Yeah, um, well, I'm presently the president of the Friends of the Penitentiary Museum. Uh, we're a not-for-profit organization that uh, partners with Correctional Service Canada to run the Penitentiary Museum here in Kingston. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, Correctional Service kind of looks after the capital responsibilities in terms of building maintenance and providing us a facility and that sort of thing. And then our job is to basically uh, find volunteers to help with the tours of the Penitentiary Museum, hire summer students um, to assist in that as well. Um, we have a gift shop that we run. Uh, and then, of course, we do the administrative work with uh, the gift shop and hiring summer students and dealing with all those payroll issues and um, employment um, uh, law issues uh, associated with that. So uh, we're a not-for-profit organization. I've been involved in that organization for about 10 years, uh, give or take a couple of years here and there. Um, and it's, uh, it's, 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 it's an amazing um, institution. It's um, um, really eye-opening to be exposed to the information and to the people who used to work in the correctional system, um, both at the kind of um, correctional officer level, but now increasingly we interact with people who were former inmates as well. So hearing their perspectives and you know how they viewed corrections and their experiences within the penitentiary system, um, you know we're increasingly trying to get that um, perspective out to the public as well to show a more balanced um, view of um, you know what it's like to be in the penitentiary system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing that. Um, you know I've been involved with uh, the hospitals, uh, particularly in terms of fundraising with the uh, University Hospital Kingston Foundation former vice president of the KGH Foundation. So that gives you exposure to how the hospital runs and the things that are being done there. Um, KTech, Kingston Technology Exchange Center was actually a partnership between the city of Kingston and Queens University, where the city of Kingston provided one and a half million dollars to Queens to establish um, a biosciences lab. So wet and, drab, uh, wet and dry lab space. And as part of that, uh, there was a 15 year lease that was gonna be um, given to KTAC, and then this would be a joint Kingston, City of Kingston, Queen's University operation. And I was appointed to the board of uh, KTAC um, through my um, position as a director of KEDCO, Kingston Economic Development Corporation. So I was on that board for about three years, and they said, well, a bit to you, you're from Kingston, you got a connection with Queen's, so you seem like an ideal person to put on this joint board with Queen's University. So, um, so over the past few years, I've been still connected with Queens in some way, shape, or form, whether it's the Alumni Association, whether it's through KTEC, uh, whether it's through my work in city council. Um, there's been always some sort of interaction with Queens University, and uh, being a graduate and uh, being familiar with Queens has certainly helped in terms of uh, dealing with the people I need to deal with, opening doors, know who, who to talk to within the uh, university bureaucracy, and, and try and move things forward. So. Um, been involved in that, um, Cataract Region Conservation Authority, uh, community policing. Um, there's a whole slew of things there. I mean, I could talk for hours and hours about all those things, but uh, that's kind of 
I've been involved in almost everything for the past, you know, come 20 some odd years. So, <laughs> wow. Wow. Indeed. Uh, quite a lot of work. It sounds like when you, when you talked earlier about having two full-time jobs on city council, at, as well as your work as a lawyer at the firm you were with at the time, uh, it sounds like you have a full-time job and then some with all of your volunteerism too. Amazing. Yeah. So certainly I'll keep myself busy. That's for sure. So, <laughs> Well, let's hear a little bit more about your work with university council and your role on university council. But for, before that, what inspired you to uh, join university council? Um, well, I, because of my involvement with Queens, I've always had people approaching me and suggesting that I should put my name forward. Um, Cause they knew that I was kind of active uh, on campus during my, uh, undergrad years and uh, when I was in law school and uh, so they figured well I mean you obviously keep in touch with a lot of uh, alumni from Queens so we're looking for members of university council who keep in contact with that network and let people know what's going on bring their concerns to university council and be that line of communication um, so they asked me a few times and you know in the past they kind of uh, declined to do that but uh, this year um, I was uh, well uh, for the past couple of years I was co-chair of SORB, Senate Orientation Activities Review Board. So I'd been um, co-chair for a couple of years and I've been on that board for about uh, four and a half years. And uh, I stepped off the board this year and then the position came up and I thought, well, you know, I'm still kind of interested in staying involved with uh, the university. So why don't I put my name forward and see what happens? And um, I put my name forward and I was lucky enough to be one of the uh, 11 people uh, who were elected this time around. I think we had 72 candidates put their names forward for 11 positions. Um, so I was able to get in the top 11 and uh, get elected. So um, it was kind of interesting. I've observed the elections over the past couple of years. And normally there's about 30 people mm -hmm. who contest elections. And um, there's 40 elected positions on university council. And we're electing 10 positions every year. So 25% of the board is elected annually. Um, so to go from 30 to 72 was a huge jump. And a lot of people you know, they would support me in the nomination, but they thought, well, you're going to have a real tough time and there's so many people running and, you know, they weren't really sure I was going to get elected. So neither was I because there was quite a lot of people running. Uh, but uh, fortunately, um, you know, there's uh, 785 uh, plus alumni out there who uh, voted for me and I'm still trying to figure out who the 785 are. I'm like, do I actually know 785 <laughs> alumni? But uh, they obviously know who I am. Um so, I mean, you know, with city council work and community work and everything, I'm pretty sure, and working with the university, I probably brought in people who I may not be directly familiar with, but who obviously know who I am. So um, that's what motivated me to put my name forward. I was fortunate enough to get elected. And uh, yeah, so this is my first year. And so I'm kind of getting my feet wet in terms of uh, understanding university council, what it does, what role it plays in the university, and then uh, trying to work out how best to communicate with the alumni and to pass information on to them, as well as to get information back from them about concerns or issues or ideas that they may have on, on how to make Queens a better place. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for all of that, Bitu. Can you can you share with us a little bit more about even your time at Queens? You did uh, you were in ArtSci up until 95. Let's hear a little bit about your degree program uh, as an undergrad and maybe uh, tell us a little bit about the, your time in grad school and some of the extracurriculars you might have been involved in too. Um, well, I mean, in terms of my undergrad year, um, my intention when I came to Queens was to um, study a political science or political studies. And um, I think initially, I think I was also thinking of doing a, uh, a double major with poli-sci and uh, economics. 
Um, so I took some courses in my first year, both poli-sci and economics, um, and some other courses as well, computer science and and um, a couple of others. And, uh, you know, just trying to feel my way through, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, my second year, I kind of decided that, okay, fine, I'm going to stay in arts. So I'm not going to really go down the science path. Um, but I also want to take some courses in history as well. So by about the third year, I kind of decided, well, we can't do a double major and then try and accommodate the courses I want to take in history. So uh, I dropped the, um, the major in economics, um, just did a, basically a major in political science or poli-sci, um, and then took my history courses as well. Now, I think I ended up taking enough courses in economics to actually qualify as a minor in economics. I think it was like five courses that mm -hmm. I took overall. Um, but anyway, so my, my degree is, uh, you know, a major in political studies. Uh, with economics and um, history courses there, just because I have an interest in Canadian politics and, and Canadian history, and they're all connected. So um, mm -hmm. I did that. And um, in terms of my undergrad years, I was mostly involved with um, um, the campus liberals. Uh, I was president of the club for a few years. Um, I figured when I first came to Queens, you know, a lot of the uh, political leaders that I admire and respected in Canada, they all started their they were all involved in their campus political organizations. So I thought, well, I guess I better follow mm -hmm. in their footsteps and do the same thing. So that's when I joined the Liberal Party when I first came to Queens and um, involved with the Queens Liberal Club. And then as an extension of that, got involved with Model Parliament. And uh, certainly one of the highlights of my undergraduate career was uh, being Prime Minister and Model Parliament when we, were in the, um, when we were in the House of Commons. But the Speaker that year decided he was going to try and give us the full House of Commons experience. So we had the TV crews working, the live broadcast that weekend, um, interpreters, um, translators were working that weekend, pages were working that weekend. Obviously, security is going to be there. Um, so we were basically, it was it was it was about as real as you could get without actually being wow. without actually being Prime Minister. So. It was funny when I came home and, and people, I worked part-time at a grocery store when I was in my undergrad years and people who knew me at the grocery store was like, were you on TV? I think I saw you on TV and uh, were you in parliament or something? And I, I'm sitting here wondering who on a weekend is looking at CPAC. Um, and, you know, at the time, <laughs> a lot of people, well, and you got to understand <laughs> yeah. at the time, yeah, apparently, yeah. And, and at the time CPAC didn't have the same breadth of programming that they have now. It was just basically mm -hmm. broadcast of the House of Commons with some little um, uh, information vignettes, I guess, that they put on the screen of nothing was happening, no committee hearings, no House of Commons proceedings. And that was it, right? There weren't no programs. There weren't any reporters reporting on various issues for CPAC, none of that kind of more lively programming you have today. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, the House of Commons isn't in session and you just got these information. Like who's watching the parliamentary channel on a weekend, you know, like... Anyway, but people white noise. <laughs> like I guess so. I guess they're just sound. slipping through the channels, and they just happen to notice me there or something. I'm not really sure, but so that's the local people, and of course, people who knew me or knew my parents from, you know, Edmonton, St. John's, whatever they're calling, it, and say, yeah, we saw in the national news that apparently you guys were at Queens and pictures of Prime Minister. Like, what's going on here and stuff like that. So yeah, it was kind of interesting. All these people calling up and saying they saw me on national television. So that was certainly a lot of fun. I would say that was probably the highlight of, um, well, aside from getting my degree, that was the highlight of my undergraduate career is doing that. Because I know. Oh, sounds like fun. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I did that. And um, then, of course, I went to law school. And um, yeah, with law school, I got involved with the um, Law Student Society. And then, of course, since I was um, an undergrad at Queens, people thought, well, you'd be ideal to sit on AMS Assembly. And so I was um, one of the representatives from the, from the Law Student Society on AMS Assembly. And of course, at the time, um, you know, the law students were having issues with the AMS with regards to 
um, student constables and AMS services and whether they're representing the Law Student Society or, or you know, who were they were representing. Um, the Law Student Society at the time had a lease on one of the um, homes neighboring the grad club. And uh, basically mm -hmm. what would happen is we would, um, the Law Student Society or the president would basically sign a lease with Queen's University, um, rent the property. And then um, we would use that as a place where exchange students who were coming to Queen's Faculty of Law would have a place to stay. Um, they would be paying the rent. And then the, the main floor, the um, first level floor is basically this big open area where we have this thing called Poits, which is um, piss on it tomorrow, Saturday, uh, which is kind of like <laughs> this Friday night social thing we had organized. And um, it was very casually organized. Um, you know, people would bring in um, alcohol, kegs, um, not necessarily with the proper licensing adherence to the rules, um, which is kind of shocking for law students, but uh, there you go. And um, during homecoming, during my first year of homecoming, when we had this kind of Friday night uh, event, um, more than the usual crowd of people would show up. So the place was packed with, I don't know, 200 plus or 400 plus people in them. I'm not really sure. Either way, it was beyond fire code capacity. And, um, you know, uh, the police came and at the time they just come and just shut down the place and say, hey, listen, you know, this is like, <laughs> you can't have as many people here and everything. You're not controlling admission, et cetera, et cetera. And law-breaking lawyers well, yes there was there's a little bit of flexibility when it came to following the rules apparently and um homecoming of course being the big event that that it was just attracted even more people so you weren't just dealing with queen students you're dealing with people from the wider kingston community so anyway at the time the police were pretty laid back in terms of well as long as you shut everything down and let people move on that's fine no problem so uh which we did uh but we'd hired um ams stucons uh, student constables to kind of uh, police the event and the stucons were kind of upset at the fact that well there was no uh, admission control in terms of people being admitted to the place they were they had you know they, they have a formula in terms of how many stucons they assigned to an event based on the size of the event and since we weren't really controlling admission the numbers of people they had there was not sufficient to deal with the issues given the size of the people who are the size of attendance so um, they had concerns they kind of came back and did a report and that went up the AMS uh, chain of command and then the AMS got in touch with the a um, LSS and said, we have some concerns here. And the LSS was kind of like, well, you know, nothing really happened. There wasn't an issue or anything like that. Um, there was an issue in terms of an assault that took place outside of the building uh, close by, uh, but oh. um, which kind of got lumped in with this event. But um, since it was outside of the building and, and no one who was organizing the event knew anything about it or had anything to do with it, the Law Student Society felt, well, it's not really our issue. It's kind of more of a public issue. Um, AMS felt differently. And then I guess they had a meeting with Queen's administration, informed them of this issue. And then the administration said, what's the, pro what's the address of this property? Um, that's Queen's property. And they don't have a license to do that because Marriott's got the license for any liquor-related events. So needless to say, administration came in. They contacted the dean. And the dean came to Law Student Society and said, okay, no more points because, you know, you know, the administration has rules with regards to liquor events and Marriott's got that responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. You got to do this, that, and everything else. And then at that point, the law students kind of felt aggrieved and everything. And the next thing you know, you have this talk about, you know, well, is the AMS representing us or not? So I kind of got sucked into that maelstrom. And uh, next thing you know, we're having discussions with the AMS about whether we're going to continue to be a member of the AMS or not. So that was a two-year process. And we basically had a referendum process and um, you know, we kind of had our own little version of Quebec separatist referendum 95 sort of deal going on. People running for office saying we're going to stand up for the law students and stick it to the AMS and blah, blah, blah. 
And um, yeah, so there's a whole campaign there. There's a referendum there. And, um, you know, as luck would have it, uh, at the time, the Amos Judicial Committee was staffed with law students um, since uh, we were part of the AMS at the time. So um, there was an issue about uh, uh, if we're going to have a referendum about whether we stay with the AMS or not, whose rules we would be governed by. Would it be AMS rules or would it be rules set by the Law Students Society? And of course, we argue that, well, it should be the LSS because it's our faculty, that's our student population. And the AMS argued, no, you're part of the AMS, so we have to set the rules for this. So, of course, we went through a judicial process and court rulings. So kind of like our own version of Supreme Court references. Um, we went to the uh, AMS Judicial Committee. And, of course, the Judicial Committee doesn't um, conduct their um, sessions in person. They're not open sessions, per se. And uh, they unanimously rendered a decision that uh, uh, AMS rules would apply. Um, so everyone thought that that was the end of it. The AMS thought, oh, well, it was great. We won the court case and everything. But... Being a member of the AMS Assembly, as part of your AMS Assembly package, one of the documents you get is the AMS Constitution. And even more rarely, but I guess not surprising for me as a law student, so I actually read the document. So I read the document and I knew that there was a section in it, I think section, uh, section 36 sub 4, I think it is. And it has this body called the Ad Hoc Constitutional Appeal Tribunal. And so basically what happens is an issue of a constitutional nature can be appealed to this ad hoc body and this body is constituted by AMS Assembly. So the three-person body and AMS Assembly has to appoint people. One of the people who sits on this appeal tribunal has to be a law student. So, and then Assembly picks two other people. Um, so <laughs> needless to say, I am attending AMS Assembly. And uh, at the time, the Internal Affairs Commissioner was a law student. So the executive came in and they thought, well, we'll be cheeky. We'll get an internal affairs commission as a law student to head off this kind of issue with the law school. And so they presented their case and, and said, oh, yes, we got this ruling from the Amos Judicial Committee. Our rules apply. You know, well, we did a great job. You know, we're defending the interests of the AMS. And I'm sitting here listening to this at assembly and everyone's waiting for my response because I'm the senior representative for the law students. So then at that point, I decided, so I got up and I said, well, you know, um, Mr. Speaker, uh, we acknowledge the AMS Judicial Decision. Um, we respectfully disagree with it, and because we disagree with it, we are therefore appealing to the Constitutional Appeal Tribunal, and in my hand here is the official appeal notice, notice that we're going to be serving, and it was in an envelope and everything. I said, I'm going to ask my assembly members to get passed it to the Internal Affairs Commissioner, and I served it to him right there, uh, right at the assembly <laughs> meeting, and I said, and you're all witnesses to this. That envelope is our official tri appeal tribunal, so I'm sure you can confirm that this was served duly on the Internal Affairs Commissioner. And what was a, I guess, glorious moment for an AMS executive and the Internal Affairs Commissioner kind of, <laughs> I kind of dampened their parade, let's just put it that way, when they did that. So they, we, we certainly weren't above theatrics at, um, when we're dealing with uh, AMS Assembly and campus student government. So we did that and we eventually held a referendum. Uh, for the referendum to be binding, you needed a two-thirds majority. We got a two-thirds majority. And uh, so we decided to separate from the AMS. Now, during this time, we were also negotiating with what was then called the Graduate Student Society about yeah. joining them saying, okay, well, if we decide to join you, what are we going to get? And initially they're like, well, we'll give you one representative uh, for, you know, your faculty, just like we have with every department. And I said, we have um, at the time 450 students, right? I don't think you have a department of 450 students. And I said, they, they said that at the most they had like was 20 in one department. So I said, there's a little bit of a mismatch here in terms of representation. We're going to need some more proper representation and everything. And then, of course, there was an argument that, well, the master's students are represented by us. So the faculty is kind of represented that way. I said, well, that's fine, but we still have 450 undergraduate students. 
So, you know, let's figure something out. So we came up with a formula that worked in terms of number of representatives uh, that we would have. Um, so we had a proposal from them. And then, you know, the AMS kind of came back with their version of a proposal. And that's what was put to the students in a referendum. So the, um, um, the Judicial Committee of the LSS had to craft a question that basically said, you're either voting for this or you're voting for that in a yes or no format. <laughs> so I thought, how are they going to craft the question? But it was, it was brilliant how they worded it. And they were able to do it in such a way that you're, if you're going to vote for the AMS proposal, then you weren't voting for the GSS proposal at the time. So, and at the time we got enhanced representation. Um, we had um, the required name change to the now the Society of Graduate and Professional Students. So that was mm -hmm. part of the um, agreement that we had with them. And um, yeah, we got the two thirds majority we needed to uh, get approval so it could be mandatory. And um, um, over that summer, I guess, you know, um, AMS, GSS and the administration worked to kind of rejig everything so that that fall um, law students became part of the GSS. So uh, I guess that was another highlight of uh, my work at uh, law school when I was at Queens. So. Wow. So you were very extremely active in student politics. Uh, and well, extremely active in politics all the way through your academic career too. Yeah. So what a story. Thank you so much. Uh, we learned so much about the history of uh, several university or student organizations. Really appreciate those insights. For sure. So let's uh, let's pivot back to university council. Can you um, tell us some of the tell us about some of the activities that you've been engaged in with university council since your election? Well, the main activity I've been engaged in has been, uh, of course, our annual meeting. Um, that's when the bulk of our decision making with regards to um, who's going to be occupying what positions, um, changes to our bylaws, our rules, um, any kind of strategic priorities we have. And certainly for uh, this university council, and I guess, you know, a couple of years past, um, equity, diversion, inc inclusion and indigeneity has been a big priority. Um, it's been an even bigger priority given our recent elections where out of the 11 people who were elected, um, eight of them were about eight, eight or alumni of African descent, um, which we've never had had before. I mean, in the recent years that I've been following university council elections, I would say almost all the candidates who've been elected are um, of European descent, Caucasian descent, right? So in terms of uh, representation, racial representation, there's been quite the change there in terms of uh, who's been elected. And uh, a very positive change, because um, we're certainly working towards trying to be as representative and, uh, and equitable and representing the diversity and the equity and, and trying to be as inclusive as possible. So uh, that was a very important election. I think um, it signaled that the alumni community is very concerned about that issue being addressed. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, University Council has taken that to heart. So we now have an EDII advisor uh, who's also a member of University Council, uh, Professor Anita Jack Davies, um, who's doing some legwork in terms of what we can do as University Council, how we can use our influence as University Council and the greater university community and with administration to try to move them in that direction. Um, and then from that, I mean, when you're on University Council, you're invited to um, you're given the opportunity to attend board of trustees meetings, uh, UCARE meetings, um, various organizations on campus. Um, so it's been kind of getting in there and the next thing you know, you're getting invites for, you know, interviews like this, talking to the media. Can you go and attend this function of this organization or represent us at this um, uh, organization's uh, meeting? And, um, uh, you know, at this point, it's kind of like, it's all coming as a big wave to me because I'm just getting all this stuff. And then my term of office didn't start until September as with all the people who were elected uh, this year. 
but we were receiving invites for various meetings and activities prior to that, um, just to keep bring us up to speed on what's going on so that we knew once we took office, okay, so this is what University Council was doing. These are some of the issues they were dealing with. And then we can hit the ground running. So, um, you know, at this point, we're kind of, we're very much focused on advancing EDII as a strategic, as a high priority issue. Um, obviously, we want to deal with other issues too, like the pandemic and, you know, what kind of changes we're going to see in the university community. Um, we're looking at how best to communicate with alumni because we've got about 156,000 plus alumni across the entire world. What is the best way to engage them? Because um, our voter turnout when it comes to university council elections is quite low. It's only about 3% or 4% of the total alumni population, which is a, it's a pitifully low figure. Um, and, you know, obviously part of that is how do we keep in touch with the alumni? Um, how do we make sure that they maintain some sort of connection with Queens and a connection that's, you know, meaningful for them and meaningful for us as a university community. So um, we're talking about things like that. Um, now, of course, part of the challenge is we can't really talk face to face. So, you know, we're trying to do this over Zoom and try and do this electronically. Um, mm -hmm. But University Council doesn't meet in person on a, on, on a regular basis, like let's say the Senate does, for example, right? Because everyone who's participating in the Senate are, are basically here in Kingston, whereas University Council spread out across the entire world over different time zones. So you're trying to find a convenient time where everyone can meet electronically and, and communicate and discuss things and things like that. So um, that's, you know, that's one of the challenges we're working on, but I mean, um, you know, we're working at it very diligently. And um, so long as uh, we have an engaged alumni community and, um, you know, I, I, this year it looked like they're pretty engaged because when you go from 30 people putting their names forward to get involved to 72 people, um, there's a high degree of engagement and obviously a high degree of concern with EDII issues, um, pandemic issues, um, were, I guess the two main political issues or issues that were raised during the campaigning from all the candidates. So those issues were top of mind, but other people were basically saying, well, we need to figure out what we need to do to be a relevant university and academic institution in the 21st century, right? So what are, mm -hmm. the, long, what are the long-term issues? What are long-term challenges we need to address? And, you know, how do we go about that? So, um, and, and how do we obviously be a resource for students, right? Because the alumni know that, you know, they had a wonderful experience as undergraduates. And, um, you know, one of the ways they keep in touch is obviously working with students, mentoring students, um, providing opportunities where they can provide their advice and experience and ideas to students. Uh, so that, you know, students kind of have a better idea of what to expect when they enter the, the work world or wherever they intend to go, right? Um, and just give them an idea of what all their options are and what the possibilities are. So uh, we're certainly looking at trying to do that. And uh, University Council and the Secretariat have been very diligent in trying to pair us up with uh, opportunities that come up. Um, Terry Flindle, who works with the Secretariat, uh, has been very good at trying to take the skill sets that the University Councilors have and then match them to various degrees and programs and activities on campus so there can be that direct connection there. So, mm -hmm. um, and she just came on this year, if I understand correctly. So um, that's kind of new as well. So I think that's an additional resource that we have a university council we didn't have before, um, which has been very helpful in terms of opening doors and, and making people on campus aware that, oh, yeah, there's a resource at university council. We've got these people with these skill sets. Maybe they can come speak to your organization. Maybe they can come do this or that or, or whatever, right? So she's being very diligent in terms of matching up, doing the pairing of those opportunities when she becomes aware of them and when they arise. So um, we're looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, obviously building on that as well. So I think uh, there's tremendous opportunities there for us to really get uh, involved in, and um, uh, integrated in the, in the life of the university. Fantastic. I'd like to hear more now from you about why fellow alumni might consider running for university council uh, this election cycle. 
Well, I think university council is a great opportunity to stay connected with the university. Um, you know, you're you're part of a council that involves um, the chancellor, um, the principal, you know, the two two top officials of, of the university. Um, you're interacting with the alumni association, with the uh, AMS and the SGPS, because we have representatives from those organizations uh, who are involved, uh, the Senate, uh, all the other governing bodies. So this is an opportunity for alumni who aren't here in Kingston, who aren't on campus, to be able to stay involved and to uh, you know, share their ideas and experiences with the uh, next generation of Queens graduates, um, and you know, to help make the university that we all love and care for, um, you know, the place that we want it to be. You know, in terms of being inclusive, um, you know, uh, um, EDII initiatives, being relevant. Um, you know, with um, what we're looking at for a, an academic institution in the 21st century. Um, and of course, dealing with the challenges that come up, like, you know, the pandemic, for example, right? We need to have people who who got that experience, who got that knowledge and understanding, who got the interest to want to share those um, ideas and their skills and um, their experiences with the university community. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like enhanced networking, right? When you bring in people who've got these skill sets and you connect them with other people, then, you know, great things can happen in terms of opportunities or ideas or initiatives. So um, I think it's really important for the alumni community um, if they really love Queen's experience and wanting to maintain that wonderful experience that you had as an undergrad or as a graduate student for the next generate for future generations of uh, students at uh, Queen's to stay involved. Um, and you can make sure that that happens. And um, it's a great way to stay connected. Um, you know, I've got the advantage of being in Kingston. So, I mean, you know, campus is very close by to me and stuff like that. So I'm connected in that sense. But, uh, you know, if you're not interacting with the university on a regular basis, you, there's that distance and then you start kind of losing touch. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think one of the things about Queen's University is you, when you come to Queen's, you develop uh, friendships and relationships with people that last a lifetime. And this is just another avenue and a way for you to maintain those relationships and to, um, you know, meet new people. You know, I mean, a university community is a broad community. Maybe you're going to meet lots of people from outside your faculty, um, outside your year, um, you know, just a whole variety of people you can meet um, who are connected with the, com you know, the common denominator being our connection with Queen's University. So it's a really enriching experience. It's very enjoyable. Uh, I think it's manageable in terms of the number of meetings you have over the year. Um, and um, it's a great way to stay involved and stay connected and, and to help make Queens a better place. Mm, okay. So with that in mind, then I wonder if you have uh, some ideas for st our student listeners out there about how they might be able to stay connected too. This year is a very strange year to be studying at any university, including Queens, uh, because everything's being done remotely. Have you any advice for students and maybe even alumni about staying connected uh, while we are still working remotely? Well, I mean, um, you know, I guess it's two different perspectives there in terms of students you're kind of staying connected because this is where your academic field of study is and you know you still got to do your assignments you still got to do your readings you're going to be writing your exams um you know albeit in a different format or a different way of doing it um and um you know the important thing is obviously to you know stay in contact with your classmates your colleagues and your friends right um queen's experience isn't just an academic experience it's like a social experience too right mm -hmm. and with uh you know with the pandemic yeah obviously it's more emphasis on distant learning and electronics and things like that but i mean with the technology we have we also have the ability to stay in touch with each other in a relatively safe space right so we can communicate you know through zoom or video chats like this um you know we have the technology and the ability to do it the question is whether 
um, you're able to, you know, concentrate and be determined to do that, right? And in this pandemic, you might have to put a little bit more effort in trying to maintain those connections. Um, mm -hmm. Just because you don't still have that natural interaction you'd have where if you're walking around on campus or, you know, being in a room full with your classmates. Um, so it takes a little bit more effort, but I think, um, you know, um, it can be done. I mean, the first year students coming into Queens, uh, I'm sure this is certainly not what they were expecting when they came into, um, you know, their first year and they wanted, they wanted to live the university experience and didn't have orientation and didn't have this and, and all kinds of other things. So it's been a little bit of a challenging time. But I mean, this is also kind of a bonding time too, because now you've got a common experience that, you know, you've got something in common with everybody else, right? You all went through this kind of situation in your time period and, uh, you know, you're able to persevere through it. I know administration is trying to do their best they can to, to make it easier for students, same with faculty. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a new experience for everybody, um, but I think really um, with the technology we have, you know who your friends are, you know who you can interact with. And, you know, if, if you're shy about it, just reach out to somebody and say hi if you're in a meeting or something like that, right? Um, nothing hurts. I mean, people are looking to um, make friendships and to connect with other people and stuff like that, especially during this time period. So, you know, don't be shy about reaching out and saying hi to someone. And, you know, you never know if you say hi to someone, maybe that's going to be the start of a, a lifelong friendship with, um, with someone. I mean, you know, it's, it's happened here at Queens many times. And, you know, if you're doing it through an electronic mode, it could still be the same thing. And, you know, now that we got a vaccine, um, we're going to get to a point of normal um, at some point in the near future, hopefully by next fall, if not sooner. And um, then you can go, we can go back to the traditional experience of, you know, the campus life and interacting with people on campus and being able to meet people face to face. Um, but I think that's important for students to keep in mind that, uh, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and uh, just hang in there and, uh, you know, just be open to the possibilities of meeting new people and interacting with new people. I think if you just keep an open mind about that and, and take the initiative, I think you're going to get a tremendous amount of rewards. Um, in terms of the alumni community, I mean, it's the same thing too. Obviously, they're going to probably use electronic uh, means to keep in touch with university more just because it's spread out over the entire world. Um, mm -hmm. The Alumni Association obviously is a great resource to be using for alumni to stay connected and everything. Uh, as long as your information is up to date with the university, you'll be getting newsletters and information from the university. The Alumni Association will keep in touch, get involved in your local branch. Um, if you happen to have enough people in your area to have a branch um, or set one up, you know, it's a perfect uh, excuse to uh, connect with the university and say, hey, how many people are in this part of the world that I'm living in? Um, and then maybe we can get together at a, at a place and then start from there, because I think people like to socialize and people like to interact. And most people, uh, at least the people I've talked to, have had very positive experiences with their time at Queen's University. And they certainly want to kind of relive that. So if there's an opportunity where they can meet other alumni, um, around the world and, and socialize and interact and, and uh, help the university where they can, um, I think they would gravitate towards that opportunity. And, you know, the Queens Network is an amazing network. We got people all over the world, all over the place. And I've, you know, I, I've heard stories about people traveling around the world. They may go to a part of the world they don't know anybody and they just basically contact the Alumni Association. Hey, you got a branch contact here. There's a branch here or something like that. Yeah, yeah, talk to this person. Boom, they connect with a person. So when they're going into a place where they don't know anybody, you know, they reach out through the alumni network and now they know somebody in the, in the part of the world they happen to be in. So it's a tremendous resource, you know, and, you know, mm -hmm. the administration is trying to foster that with careers and mentoring opportunities as, as well. So we're trying to build on that and trying to sustain that. And uh, if you're alumni and you've got, um, you know, your career experience, your life experience is probably something that will be a benefit to the student body. Let's just show them what opportunities there are, answer any questions they may have about, uh, you know, what they want to do, what students want to do in the future. And, uh, you know, having people who've been there and done that, 
makes it a lot easier for students to, um, you know, help guide them in terms of where they want to go and what they'd like to do with their life, you know, uh, knowing full mm -hmm. well that you're not going to have all the answers. Uh, you know, you won't have all the answers in first year, you're not gonna have the answers in fourth year. Um, you know, you'll probably go through various career changes. But if you know there are people who've been there and done that, then it makes it easier for you to um, get that information if you're willing to reach out to those people and ask them questions about, uh, you know, their experiences, whether it's work or life or what have you. And um, I think it's, you know, the more information you have, the better you are as a person in terms of making the decisions you need to make. So let's take advantage of the alumni resource, that network that we have at Queens and, um, you know, uh, hang in there. Um, you know, Queens is a great institution, tremendous resources. Um, this year is kind of a unique situation for everybody, but I think we're all working through it as best we can. And, um, you know, know that there's a support out there if you're a student for you. So, you know, don't hesitate to reach out and ask for help um, to connect with people. And, um, you know, I, if the community, if Queens is a community that I experienced, it's a very caring community and someone, you know, if you reach out to someone, they're going to do what they can to try and help you. So we're not going to leave you on your own. It's not this kind of, well, too bad you're by yourself. And, you know, it's, a, it's not a dog eat dog world or anything like that. We really care for each other. And we have a very strong sense of family as a university community. So um, just think of it as your family. And then, you know, when, when times get challenging, just reach out to your family and uh, we'll be there for you. Sage advice. Thank you so much, Bitu. Uh, do you have anything else to add before we close today? Um, <laughs> No, I think, um, you know, I, I would just say that, uh, you know, um, you know, Queens is a wonderful institution and, uh, you know, it's a unique opportunity for everybody to be here. I was very blessed to be uh, enrolled at Queens University, uh, first generation of my family to go to university. So coming to uh, a university, let alone one as prestigious as Queens was very impressive and uh, uh, it's a wonderful experience. You know, it's uh, very inclusive, welcoming. Uh, family and um, you know don't lose sight of that and just uh, just keep that top of mind and uh, you'll do well. Thank you so much folks we've been talking with Bitu George an alumnus from Queen's University from Artside 95 Law 98 all about his fabulous career path uh, his extensive volunteerism a little bit about the history of the LSS and the SGPS and the AMS, uh, in addition to some pretty sage advice for students and alumni about staying engaged at such an unusual time. It's been a real pleasure talking to you as well about University Council and the important role that you're playing there too. Thank you so much, Bitu, for your valuable time today. We really do appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.